Hello, Plestia. Thanks for joining in. I was, um, and happy birthday. Thank you, Rana. Um, I saw your Instagram post where you spoke about life before October 7th um, in Gaza. You're all very young journalists and one of you are also one of the few sources where so many of us are getting our news from. And, you know, everybody is going to yours and Motaz and other Palestinian journalists and journalists in Gaza. When you say your life has changed since October 7th, tell me what was life before October 7th for you. Tell me what was your life in Gaza. You know, I get asked this question a lot. And and I feel whenever someone asks me how was life before October 7th, I feel like I don't know. Like, it's been 65 days. 65 days and these 65 days let me forget how normal life was like for me if you ask me what I wish for all I wish for is to wake up in the morning to wake up like to sleep in my bed to sleep in my house to wake up to have a cup of coffee then to go to work to hang out with my friends go maybe for a quick walk if the weather was nice to go to a cafe by the beach like a normal day you know this normal thing that I thought there was nothing special about it. Like it's a normal day, a normal routine. By the way, can you hear me well? I'm asking because of the... I can, I can, yes. Okay. Like this normal day, this small stuff, now they mean the world to me. Like how we used, we used to love tea as a family. So we used to drink tea in the living room and talk about like, how was your day? High, low, the highest point of your day, the lowest point. Like we used to talk as a family. Like it was something normal for me, but now I realize how everything was special and also what i love about about gaza is like what i like what i love about gaza before the 7th of october like me as a person i used to do a lot like okay i'm a journalist but journalism wasn't the only thing that i used to do i used to to tutor my neighbor for example uh, sometimes uh, i used to work as an hr as well i used to work as a copywriter online like I, I used to do a lot of stuff and I used to take many courses related to journalism. I used to do the English media club related to journalism. Like now I don't understand how we had time for all of that. But yeah, before the 7th of October, the day was, we had 24 hours of the day and we used to have life. We used to do many stuff. But now with the war happening, the genocide, the ethnic cleansing, the post displacement, everything, it's hard to remember what a normal day looks like, you know? I was watching your video, Pestia, with this young girl who was feeding you food, right? It yeah. was it was one of the most heartwarming video for me when I saw it. But as journalists, you know, I'm, when you're on the field, you're supposed to be objective. Everybody says, oh, you're supposed to be objective and you're supposed to not show your emotions. You were in the midst of it and you saw dead bodies and you saw children and you saw that kind of madness what did you witness Plestia that the world should know as a reporter what did you see that the world does not know about I mean we have been seeing videos right but what is the most haunting memory of Gaza that you have recorded as a journalist okay when you ask me the questions I swear many stories pop up into my mind like you know how they say answer the first thing that popped into your mind but like it's not one thing or one story that popped into my mind like I heard the question and I have many answers I feel if I answered I won't stop talking the yeah. first displacement like the the safe corridor 
yeah. the safe corridor that people uh, got pushed to this place from the, from the north to the to the south. I went there a couple of times. I reported. I was there like half of the time. I swear I wasn't working or like recording or doing anything. I was just standing like that. You know, I was just standing and staring and remembering everything that my grandpa used to tell me. My grandpa passed away uh, in January. So he's old. He was uh, around 80. So he used to tell me to tell me about the neck band, everything he experienced, and, uh, and about his dog Max and how he left his dog uh, at the house because he's coming back. That's what he thought. So when I saw when I like when like we're in 2020, we're in 2023, and I'm seeing people forced to this place. I'm seeing the children. They're walking, holding cats, or like a mother walking, walking, holding her baby, or like. Everything that was happening, like I was looking on my mind and my mind was just recalling everything my grandpa used to tell me about the Nakbal. This thing, I'll never forget it. Also, the hardest part of reporting was me going to the hospital. Yes. <laughs> like my colleagues, yes. you know, if we're going to the hospital, then please, they will stop functioning today. Yeah. <laughs> like being in the hospitals and... It was beyond catastrophic there, really. Like what I covered or what I others covering <laughs> on social media is literally not even 30% of what's actually happening in the ground. Also, many people, they refuse to film or like to do stuff. And I totally understand. Like there is this lady, she's 29 years old. I'll, I swear, I'll never forget her. Like my mind has a picture of her. I don't have actual pictures of her because she didn't want to anybody to take pictures of video, but I talked to her as a human, not as a journalist. She lost both of her legs and her arm during during a bomb, of course. So like till now my brain is not braining. Like I don't understand how is she supposed to live. Like I always think of her like how is she supposed to live with no two legs and only like only one arm. Like how how do you do that? And also there is this girl, uh, she's five or six years old and she lost her arm. So her dad told me that she used to always, she's in the hospital, so she's surrounded by other kids injured. So she used to wake up and look at Arash and look around her to see if other kids lost their arm as well or not. So I can't say, the father's name is Adam, by the way. Like I never forget the sentence that he told me because it's, why is a five or a six years old thinking like that? Like, instead, like when you wake up first in the morning, instead of thinking what I want to do, to do today, what I want to wear to, um, to kindergarten or whatever, or what I want to play with or what I want to eat or what I want to do, just thinking of other people if they lost their arm or not. Like the stories that I heard, and like there are many stories that are not even online, that are, are offline and I saw and people didn't want uh, any journalists to report on because they were terrified and it's totally understandable, but I never forget the stories. Even if I don't have footage of, of them saying these stuff or pictures of them, it's all in my mind, you know? Yeah. And also what breaks my heart a lot are the people are the only survivors like there are many kids who lost their whole family like even the extended family and they are the only ones who survived like there is um, this girl i work with her melissa the baby's name uh, she doesn't talk like she's still a baby uh, one year and a half or one year and three months so she doesn't know how to talk i talked to her her aunt 
like the ant is the only survival like it, it's a three three floors house and all of it bumps to the floor so her mom her dad uh, he, she has a brother everyone is gone so i'm thinking of her like what are we going to tell her when she grow up you know how is anyone supposed to explain or feel that pain and there is this tweet that dr ghassan abu sister posted that i'll never forget as well i'm not saying the actual words but it was um, there is no place more uh, there is no place more lonely than a place of an injured child in a hospital who has no one to look after so i i don't have an answer to the questions and trust me i still didn't finish talking like just just the minute that you ask this question endless stories popped into my mind i, I, I don't feel yeah i don't feel it's it's fair to answer your question like what should i choose this story not this story like all stories are equally heartbreaking absolutely and i i saw i saw a post by mutaz where he was like i don't know if you know and you translated that post for everybody saying this is what he said um uh, more than 60 journalists have been killed in gaza um your colleagues i'm sure um many of them did you when you were reporting all of you the biggest fear all of us were had throughout is will we get to see them again will we get to see them alive again right the world community normally speaks up for journalists the international community by and large always speaks up for journalists but in the case of gaza we are seeing a silence but did you see the kind of solidarity from international platforms did you see that kind of or do you see that nobody is speaking about journalists in gaza as much as they should be speaking i think you like you answered yourself while asking the question like you saying how more than 60 journalists are then you ask me the question you have we answer if there is support if there is solidarity if there are human rights then why would the 60 something journalists get killed you know you know and me personally talking about myself what scared what was scaring me the most is <coughs> what was scaring me the most not me being killed what was scaring me is the idea of me being cut into pieces or of me being alive under the rubble and they can't take me out or of me being dead under the rubble and they can't even take me out to bury me they like, can you imagine that right now if you're dead like if you got killed and buried then oh my god how lucky she is she got we were able to bury her dead body like even dead bodies like they are already killed even the dead bodies we, we're not having the chance to bury them like the dead bodies like the family members they know about their cousin their mom they whatever that they got killed but they don't have the privilege of burying them so like i like the scenarios the scenarios and the trauma and the nightmare like it's not about getting killed and you know many times i used to think i finished working on or reporting on a story and i'm think like should i go to where my mom my family are staying or will it be more risky for them because i'm a journalist i might get targeted and i'm going to see them then i'm like many families uh, many journalists families got targeted and they were not there so maybe if it's better if i was there then if something happens we all together like you know the scenario everything that i think about because of my journalists was a lot like even civilians are not safe babies babies are not safe no one is safe because it feels that everyone is a target but i hate i hate the feeling of 
a beloved one, like a family member or someone I'm staying at his or her house, might, something bad might happen to them just because I'm a very nervous, you know. And you're very young, Plasti, and you have seen so much already, right? You might not have seen the Nakba, but you are seeing the present day Nakba, right? You are so many in your generation, right? You have... Uh, I mean, none of us have experienced that kind. We have only heard about it and we are witnessing life and we are witnessing secondhand trauma. You know, just scrolling what we are call, we call it doom scrolling on Instagram. Um, watching these videos on Twitter and feeling traumatized. I don't even imagine the trauma that you are under, right? Now you're away, you have, you have come to Australia. How do, when you see what's happening in Gaza, what do you feel like? What's happening inside you? What do you feel? Are you, what do you feel for okay. those who are inside right now? You know, I hate that I got to experience things when I was in Gaza and I got to experience being out of Gaza, but the war didn't stop, you know? So I remember how it felt like when I was in Gaza and there was no internet, no service, no cellular connection. It felt like it felt like colors two rockets. Gaza will be erased. No one will know anything. That was when I was in Gaza. But now, when I'm out of Gaza, I feel like a crazy person. I just keep. I know there is no no service, but I just keep calling just in case. Maybe the service now will get back. Maybe I'll try to. I'll try refreshing social media posts. Maybe journalist or someone has an ASM. They were able to update. They were able to post anything you know so i got to experience what it feels like to be in gaza and to be out of gaza even if i'm physically out of gaza i'm mentally there you know like life is in pause like even if i'm out my brain is not draining or processing everything yet like sometimes the certain situations happen and i realize how traumatized i am but i'm sure everyone will realize more or understand more what's happening when it's over. Like the real war will start when the war is over. You know, like the other day, my friend called me crying because she's a normal human being, telling me how devastated and sad she is over someone who got, sorry, over someone who got killed in Gaza and she was surprised how I gave no reaction. And it's not that I gave no reaction, but I was on the ground and I knew any minute I might get killed or anyone might get killed. So I don't have time to be sad. Or I don't, not time. I don't have the privilege of being sad or to cry over someone. Like I used to be in the car working. Uh, I get a phone call if you said this week, uh, like uh, A, B died. Like for example, uh, A died. I'm like, I do feel sad. Of course, I'm sad that the person A died, for example, but I don't have time to feel emotions. Okay, maybe while talking to talking to this person, telling me that someone died, I might get killed, you know? It felt that we will all get killed. But now that I'm in a safe place, I'm excited to realize the amount of people that I lost. But I'm not yet, <coughs> I'm not yet in a position to grieve or have time to feel or just put my emotions out. It just feels that crying is a privilege, you know? Do you... Like, what does life mean? Like, what does life mean anymore? Or what does death mean anymore, you know? And do you, do you want to continue being a reporter? Do you want, do you think, as, do you think, uh, has this, this experience of the last more than almost two months now, or two months now, 
has this made you feel like okay probably this is not the profession for me probably i cannot do journalism or do you feel like no know, this is where i belong yeah like i always knew this is where i was where i belong as a journalist as a reporter but i never in my life i thought as a person like as a human i'll witness all of that and as a journalist i report i'll report all of that like when i was in gaza i was just filming reporting posting doing my job but now that i have <laughs> that i have internet and electricity to charge my phone sometimes i look back at stories at stuff that i wish and i'm like did i really film this like did that really happen like i still don't understand that everything that's happening is real like i'm just hoping it's a prank or it's a movie or it's a nightmare but it's not it's been more than two months it's a reality I was reading an article, uh, Plesti. I was reading an article. Uh, uh, hey, wait, was... can I can I can I add something? Sure. Yeah, but you know, after everything that I experienced, I remember before leaving, I was talking to my colleagues. They were with me till the last second that I left. So I was telling them, I don't imagine myself ever sitting in an office again, or reporting about the weather, or reporting about the bright stuff, or or any of that. Like before, before the war, I used to do projects with my university. For example, I reported once. I love life. I love happy moments. I love to document happy moments. So I remember that I traveled to Cyprus to attend my friend's graduation from the same university that I graduated from. And I was like, I want to report that. I work with the university newspaper. I want to report my friend. Like, how are you feeling that you're graduating? And other graduates, how are the parents feeling? I, I I love feelings, you know, and people being happy and people celebrating. But after everything that I saw after the seventh of October, I don't feel I, that I'll be the, <coughs> able to re- <coughs> to report about the same stuff that I used to report about before the seventh of October. Not that I don't want to. Not that I love life or celebration any less. But after everything I saw, I don't know how I'll be able to see any other thing. as something to document do you understand what i'm saying yes yes is it frustrating plasty as it frustrating that what you see is you call it ethnic cleansing when we start this interview said so it's ethnic cleansing but the world refuses to call it ethnic cleansing right is it frustrating as a journalist to see the world see refuse to call it for what it is Okay, for me personally, I just focus my energy and my time on reporting what's happening and showing the truth. People can call it whatever they want; it's not the naming that matters. But it's you can't turn a blind eye on what's happening. Like it's right in front of you. Call it whatever, but you can see it. You know, like maybe in 1948, they didn't have cameras or social media or journalists to to cover and report what's happening. But we're in 2020. and we have social media we have cameras we have our voices we have everything yet till now nothing is changing you know and you know what the thing is being a journalist like it was so hard my job was so difficult because we don't even have any resources like we bar- we don't have any electricity so we were barely able to charge our phones like i used to charge my phone in the car like you know how you can charge your phone in the yeah, car i used yeah. to do that Sometimes in the hospital, if I was able to do that, internet through eSIM, so it doesn't always work. You have to be in certain areas. You have to be so it was really complicated. Like 
what I was seeing and witnessing was hard enough and being able to post and to share was even so difficult. Yeah, I was, I was like thinking... Every part, every part of being a Palestinian journalist is difficult. And even the word difficult feels like an under, underestimation. Yesterday, I tweeted a tweet on uh, X saying that I feel that I need to learn more languages because I feel like during the past two months, I already used all the English vocabularies, all the Arabic vocabularies. Like, I need more words. I need more letters to express how am I feeling or to express what's happening. Like, I feel that anything that I say doesn't do justice to what's happening. Like, everything I say feels so little and ridiculous in front of everything that's happening, you know? Whatever you say about your vocabulary, Plestia, I want to say that your vocabulary and your and your courage is enough and more than enough because you conveyed to us with your pictures and your videos that story. Thanks. So your vocabulary was good enough for the world. In fact, it was loud and clearer. There's so many of us who learn, who know the language, who know multiple languages but still could not speak the truth despite knowing those languages. Thanks to Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, now truth can no longer be hidden. You know, you have the resources to tell your truth. Um, you know, so many of you had, you know, some of them had a few thousand followers. Now you have a million followers and, you know, thousands of millions of followers, people waiting for every tweet and every, every picture that you post. How does it feel to get all the solidarity from the people who actually want to know oh. the truth? Yes. Okay. For me personally, I always differentiate. Like the other day, I even posted a video. Like when I say Gaza feels lonely, Palestine feels lonely. Or I feel alone. Like I never talk about people. I talk about decision makers, the ones who can actually make change, but are watching silently. But like I appreciate everyone who sends me messages, sends me emails, who try, who goes to rallies, to protest, to try to do anything for Palestine, boycott, donate. Like I do understand how many people support Palestine and how many people in New Palestine because of me. Like. You know what I love? Educating the younger generation, especially. Like, it's so heartwarming when moms email me. Like, they email me and my daughter writes a letter for you. Or, like, my, my daughter read a diary entry from what you wrote. So she, went, so she wrote you a letter. And then I replied to her. And the other day, a young girl, she sent me that she did a presentation about me and about Palestine. And most of them are like, we didn't know. And we feel sorry that we didn't know Gaza and Palestine except now. And also saying like how in some schools uh, they're opening and they're watching my videos and they're educating, like that's the change that I want to see. Like I want the younger generation, I want the children, I want people to know about us. And I keep posting about life before the 7th of October. It's so hard to go through my gallery and through my memories and half of the people are gone, half of the places, not half, all of the places. I completely demolished, but I feel I want people to know that we had a life in Gaza, even though we've been living under occupation for the past 75 years, even with all the problems that we have, but we have life, you know, we try our best to make the, to love life in Gaza. So, so that's why I feel a sense of responsibility because I don't want people only to know Gaza as a demolished place. I don't want them only to see uh, children. Like, I'll never forget also the child who's holding uh, 
his the dead body of his brother like no i i i have palestinian <clears throat> palestinian children are not built for this they want also to play they want to have fun like they're young kids you know i hate i hate actually how the whole see that as heroes and because we're not heroes we're normally human beings we just want to live a and uh, it's, it's not a movie and he's a hero and no we just the humans we never chose to report on on that we never chose for this to happen we're not built for it we're just humans who wants to live peacefully who wants to have a normal life like see how i describe a normal day like why why would i all i wish for is to sleep in my bed wake up uh, have coffee go to work why would that be a dream shouldn't be basically human needs shouldn't be like the normal routine that we're all uh, we're void of it i agree with you plastia and i've always been an advocate of i always say this that journalists don't have to be brave you know you do not have to place the burden of oh she's so brave because only they know what they are going through you know when i see these journalists in gaza they have lost their family members and they're standing in front of the camera and everybody saying look at them they're so brave they're standing in front of the camera and telling them no they're not brave they are just you know yeah like you know i don't want to be a person known for being a heroin who died for palestine i want to be i want to be known as a palestinian human who wants to live to keep praising the voice of palestine people often forget that palestinians are humans you know they often forget that like that's why uh, during like my instagram the video you know the, you remember the first video that i posted that i went viral uh, that my hair was flying and it's like now when i watch it i'm like what am i doing what type of reaction is that like when i watch it i'm surprised as well with my reaction and i feel sad that i'm only 22 years old and i reached to a point that that's my reaction you know but yeah. but like i witnessed queer aggression since i was seven i was hearing these sounds okay now they're more intense i can't compare what's happening to any previous aggression or anything that i ever lived but it's not something that's not familiar are you in touch with your colleagues in gaza are you are you speaking to them do you worry for them yeah of course whenever i can whenever i can like you know how they how limited the internet is and how bad yeah. the service is so it's not like i can call whenever but like i keep texting you know the annoying mom that keeps texting hey, how are you out every i'm the annoying mom that keeps texting but i try not to because i was on the ground i know how terrible the situation is and i know how it's, it's <clears throat> and i know how it is stressful when someone keeps keeps texting texting you like i used to tell i have many family members abroad and they were always checking up i was like don't double and triple text me because you just make me more nervous i say i text you am i that's the update well plastia i'm not going to hold you for long i just want to tell you and anybody else who's watching this video right now that we are all so grateful more than anything else we are so grateful as journalists as humans as citizens of the world we are all grateful for journalists in gaza right you are you. i will not call you brave i will not call you brave i think <laughs> nobody no journalist has to be brave but history will be kind to you history will be objective and you have done a great favor and i keep i really hope that you keep reporting and you keep 
speaking truth to power and each one of you journalists um thank you so much thank you so much. is there anything you want to say by the end is there anything you want to say to the world there is nothing to be said more than everything that has been said more than the pictures and videos and everything that has been posted thank you so much plastia thank you so much for thank you